0: following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a
1: full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.TheUnderdogSports.com. Welcome to the 109th episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined by my co-host up in the city of brotherly love, Chris Smalls Angelos. And before we get into our guest, Smalls, uh, it's a great day for me. The Philadelphia Eagles are no longer Super Bowl champs, (laughs) and I just wanted to get that needle in because... But
2: Nick Foles is still the last quarterback to throw a touch on the Super Bowl, so... And the last
1: quarterback (laughs) to win Super Bowl MVP, so that's still I mean,
2: hello. (laughs) Uh,
1: We'll talk about the Super Bowl in a second, but our guest this week, a Philly guy as well... Uh, Justin Scott head coach of Arcadia in the uh Mac Commonwealth Conference. They are Rolling Smalls, a Division 3 school and he is I mean he's undefeated in conference 12 and 0 in conference 18 and 3 overall and a guy that legitimately just lives and breathes basketball. Like the guys coaching AAU, he's coaching FIBA, he's coaching college. I mean, I was totally blown away by we don't like to use the term grinder on this podcast, yeah. it's not really our thing. But I was blown away by the amount of basketball that Justin Scott coaches in a given year.
2: Some people talk it, you know, some people show up to gyms. Uh, Justin's finding every way, different way to coach basketball, develop himself professionally, personally, but also help where he is right now at Arcadia in terms of, you know, recruiting and being visible. And I think he's doing a really good job of that. Obviously, you mentioned FIBA, but being able to coach AU in Division Three, he doesn't really have an off switch right now, which you know I think is really critical, especially in your first head coaching job. I mean, yeah, he's in his uh, seventh season, I believe, uh, but it's his first head coaching job. So being as visible and being as involved as possible is so critical um, for him not only develop but get to the next, you know, his next hopeful position as well as he continues to move up the ranks.
1: Yeah, you know, and a guy that kind of talked about, like, he didn't really want to have an off switch. Like, no. we, we talk a lot about his career in here, but, you know, the FIBA thing came about because he he went on a Facebook page, and, you know, that's where his mother's from, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and he kind of reached out and was like, is there a practice because I'm going down here? Yeah, And then, like, the guy who was the coach ends up becoming the president of the Federation down there, and then he emails Justin back, he's like, send me your resume, and then all of a sudden, he's the coach. You know what I mean? So, And then he ends up getting the job at Arcadia because... Wanted to be closer to his mother at the time she was she was sick so he was at East Stroudsburg and then comes back and fortunately there's a full time position there and then in that you know season the head coach at Arcadia resigns and now he's the head coach for in his seventh season so you know I think just a lesson a little bit of you know don't be afraid to ask for things but also like you know he wanted to just go observe same thing with coaching AAU he doesn't get to do anything as the D three season ends so you know jersey Shore warriors he started with and now he's with uh Kalau elite formerly team philly and it's a really good opportunity for him to recruit and see a lot of players but also get to coach and and make some different connections and he i mean he says it himself some of the you know lower level guys they're ready to transfer they maybe go d2 they're not quite good enough and all of a sudden they're like well i played for coach scott for two years like let me call him up and see what's going on at arcadia so i think a guy who hasn't really good sense smalls of what kind of skills he can complement his current job with if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think uh, that totally makes sense. I think he does it for the right reasons. Um uh, yeah, of course you want to if you're a division 3 coach, I would say go coach an AU team. Go join a program, help out in some way and yeah, it can benefit you that way for recruits and things, but more so it's going to benefit you professionally. He talked about, and I think he said, you know, the season's like November to March or November to February. Like that's all I'm coaching. Like I want to do more. So as a division three coach, I think all of you guys out there who are at a program or maybe you just started and you're trying to learn and hone your craft, go find a position that you can help out with because that's really going to elevate you and make you stand out. And that doesn't – that's not limited to D3 coaches as well. Obviously, Division one, you know, assistants and staffers and Division two
1: staffers, you, you can't do that. But if you're a graduate assistant or you're a college yep. manager that listens to this. Like, go get involved. Like, a Great AAU point. A U is a different kind of animal. But, like, go get involved. Like, get involved in an organization. Start to meet some different people. Get yourself at events. Like, sure, you can work at hoop group like Smalls and I did. You can work at Elevate Hoops, all that type of stuff, made hoops, whatever. But if you're actually out there coaching – you may not get an opportunity to be on the sideline, on the bench, coaching for a lot of years if you're, you know, a manager. Like that's just you don't get that, you know, in in your career. So just not not just for Division three coaches, but obviously for D three coaches, D three assistants. Like it's it's tremendous. It's a, and you know you do what Justin Scott does, which is you you become friendly with the event operators, which is me, and then they give you free packets because you know you like them, you see them every day. Like you don't treat he doesn't treat the refs like shit on the sidelines. So. You know, you start to do that. It's a little bit of networking as well. Saves saves Arcadia some money. Saves him some money out of his pocket. So we're
2: giving some trade secrets out in this podcast. That's what 109 episodes go. You know, when you start the podcast, you do, you say, "Oh, we're not going to give out any really big secrets." And then 109. Shit, we'll give you the whole book. Let me tell you something, Smalls. (laughs) At this point, I'm an open book. We get some guests on here and they don't want to be open
1: books, but like I got nothing to hide anymore. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like you're right. Maybe 20 episodes in, it was kind of like, eh, I might try to get back in. But here's the thing. I'm gonna to try to get back in anyway, as you know. I don't know when I'm gonna do it or how I'm gonna do it, but like this is, you know, this is our life. Like this is what we do. This is how we are. This is this is not staged. It's not scripted. Like it it's it's
2: it for is. sure not prepared or scripted. Let me well, tell everyone we, that we do,
1: we do some research. You know, I wouldn't say that we're capital J journos to to rip off part of my take, but I, I would say that we're like lowercase J. We're getting. Listen, I've been
2: to a lot of college athletics websites and I've read a lot of different bios. That's That's what all kinds of
1: (laughs) And the problem is a lot of our guests aren't famous enough to have Wikipedia. So like you get Peyton Siva or Ryan Ayers on there, that you got Wikipedia for. John Linehan, that's an extensive Wikipedia. So that's easy. anybody can read Wikipedia. Pages. <laughs>
2: so sign up for our start your podcast seminar. It's only ninety nine <laughs> ninety
1: nine <laughs> for one, one episode, one 30 minute episode. Yes, real quick, Smalls. I won't uh, harp on this a lot because we are not going to do a Friday episode, and then next week we're going to get back with some recurring guests. But Super Bowl, boring game uh, for for casual fans for sure. A lot of coaches probably just wanted to go to bed, but I do know that that real coach hardos out there. Probably really impressed with Bill Belichick. I mean, just not a whole lot you can say about the guy. It seems unbelievable that they had a 1,000 yards combined last year, and then this year he holds the Rams offense to three points. Your, your quick thoughts on the Super Bowl.
2: Uh, yeah, I was bored, um, but more so I think I was more bored before the game because I knew it was the Rams, and the Rams does not do anything for me. They don't have a real fan base. I've said that before, and I think that takes away a lot of the passion. And then same thing, New England, they've won so much. Their fans are great. Listen, Boston fans... They care. They care. They care. But, you know, they're so used to winning. It's not like do or die for them. So I think that, just for me, didn't really have a great Super Bowl vibe. And I think the game was, I guess, fine. I wasn't entertained. But, you know, great defense, all that sort of stuff. I don't know. It just... It kind of fell short of whatever expectations, I guess, were hanging over a game like the Super Bowl. And it's it's
1: crazy, too, because the conference championship games were so good. And yes. It just was such a, you know, for a game that was 10-3, to 3, I, I think people that are, you know, guys that have watched a lot of football, it never felt like the Rams had a chance to win the game. Even when it was 3-3, it, like, just didn't feel that way. Like, they got dominated in the first half, and, like, the Pats made some mistakes. Like, Brady, you know, really didn't. Apparently, it needs to be, like, Seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter for him to like really make some awesome throws now in his career, but he you know he steps up and he does. But I agree with you; it felt like there was not a lot of build up to this. Like two weeks to build buzz, it, it didn't really feel like there was any any reason to kind of watch the game other than it was the Super Bowl. You know, it didn't feel like there was anything we were really interested in. Brady's not retiring; doesn't really feel like Gronk's retiring. Like. I don't know. You know, I I was I felt bad for Jared Goff. I didn't feel bad for Sean McVay. I I think when you're a coach and you have that type of pressure on you, and like you're Sean McVay, and everyone's like, "Oh, Sean McVay's a genius!" Like this is who he is. Like I did not feel bad for him. Like he he got I thought thoroughly outcoached. But I felt a little bit bad for Jared Goff because I mean that guy had no idea what was going on, and you could tell like he didn't he couldn't pick up blitzers. He didn't he did not understand coverages. Like like I said, you could see it was a guy who doesn't get through his progressions a ton. And I just, like I said, I thought it was a great job by the Pats and a great job by Bill Belichick. And it's disappointing because like you, you would expect when Brady doesn't play that well, that it would be another opportunity for somebody to knock him off. But man, they were spectacular on the defensive side of the ball. And the Rams defense was great too. Like Wade Phillips. I mean, that guy knew exactly what he was doing because they bothered Brady all night in, in different coverages and stuff. But I agree. Smalls, what'd you eat last night?
2: Uh, I had some baked chicken and um some celery, and then I ate. Uh, I think that was it. Honestly. By baked
1: chicken, you mean baked chicken wings with celery and ranch? No,
2: no. Baked Why were you chicken, eating healthy? I've been. I've actually been. I haven't really said it because usually when I admit I'm doing something great in my life, I revert. But now you have me going, so yeah. Been eating healthy, getting the cholesterol down, losing a couple pounds, trimming up for beef season, baby. What's your? It's uh, right around the corner.
1: What do you think your blood pressure is on a given? Like right now, what's your blood pressure? It's pretty.
2: It's pretty solid. I mean, one eighty like, over one twenty or something. <laughs> I don't really know the measurement. I probably should, but uh, it's Which probably part. good. It's always good. Well, I you think. said you were trying
1: to get your cholesterol down, so I wasn't sure if you like got a physical and the doc was like, hey, we got some problems nah. here. So on Super Bowl Sunday, you can have baked chicken and stuff. No, salad. I'm just
2: generally ha- – I don't even know if I have bad cl- – I've never had bad cholesterol or any problems, but just I wanted to do it, and that's <laughs> a good excuse. Like, hey, just want to get the old cholesterol down. Like maybe yeah. I'm getting it too down. I don't, That's that probably, can't yeah, be possible.
1: You need, there's, there's good cholesterol. You need to have that. So anyway, now, easy, that now that everyone's fast-forwarded through this, uh, like I said, Justin Scott, head coach of the Arcadian Knights, they are 18-3. and three. I believe they're going to be ranked this week in the D3 Hoops poll. I have not checked as of today. They were receiving votes, but they updated periodically. D3hoops.com, by the way, for people out there that like want to learn a little bit more about the D3 Landscape, super in-depth website, uh, as small as I know you are pretty familiar with it. But, oh, Yeah. Uh, just a really good guy and and just an awesome interview. Just a totally real guy. We talk a little bit about his charity work as well at the end uh, in the Danny Rumpf uh, Foundation or, and the Danny Rumpf Foundation, but really fun interview and a really good dude. And uh, as always, if you want to get in touch with us, we are Create Your Shot on Twitter, at Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. Just submitted our uh, credential request for the final four. So hopefully, David Warlock takes Smalls and I seriously as journalists, and we will be down there. We're going to be down there regardless, but we'll be down there, you know, probably chopping it up a little bit, doing some live interviews, maybe, you know, some hotel room interviews, smalls. I don't know. You know, we'll see what happens. Who knows? A couple of weeks out there. Yeah. Who knows? The the world's our oyster. But as always, you know, if you like what you hear, please do rate us five stars, leave us a review, and uh, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And enjoy this week's interview with Justin Scott. And as always, thanks so much to everybody who listens. Justin Scott the head coach of the Arcadian Knights uh Justin you guys are 18 and 3 and 12 and 0 in conference best start since your 94-95 team you guys just beat Messiah yesterday I mean I'm sure you're doing great but I ask everybody how are you doing so far
0: well I mean it's been a phenomenal season you know definitely one um that we're gonna look back on and be very very proud of um and I think it's a a product of the fact we got seven seniors, you know, seven seniors. The veteran leadership has been great. Um, this group of seniors, actually, their freshman year, we made it to the championship, hosted it, and got upset, you know, so I think they – um You know, they're real hungry to get out of here, you know, accomplishing them what they set out to do when we, which we came close to do their freshman year. The two years in between were kind of up and down. So, you know, I just think that senior leadership and focus has been essential and key to our success this year.
1: What uh? You you said yourself. You you guys two years ago. You were nine and sixteen, and then you were fourteen and fourteen last year. Were you? Did you know that you had a chance? And I and I understand how coaches are. You know, it's only twenty one games in the year. You know, you haven't really accomplished a ton. But like, did you know there was going to be a chance this year that you guys were going to be this good? And and was there a specific like turning point early in the season where you're like, we got a real shot?
0: Yeah, I, I think coming into the year, we knew we would be. Is we we would have a chance to be very good. Um. Now, 18-3, and and 12-0, that good? I'm not necessarily sure that we thought we would be that good, but I knew we would be one of the better teams in the league. I mean, for starters, we were a playoff team in our league last year. We lost a lot of close games last year. I mean, you are what your record is, but, you know, I think those close losses really prepared us for what it takes to win consistently at a high level this year. You know, and in a lot of close games that we've had, I think our experiences last year has helped us, you know, win the games this year. Um, and, you know, we 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 pretty much returned everybody from our roster last year with the exception of one senior, Brandon Thompson, that we lost. And like I said, we were a playoff team, whereas a lot of other schools in our league, you know, they lost two, three, four, five key guys. You know, so coming into the year, we knew we had the most returning and uh, we knew we had a ton of experience, and um you know, we definitely thought that if we can put it all together, that the season could be very special. you mentioned a
2: lot of close losses last year. What are the subtle differences you're seeing maybe not just on the court and in practice but off the court with your team that makes them so close and able to you know put on a show of that's eighteen and three right now.
0: I think the maturity, you know, our, our maturity level is a lot higher than it's ever been. You know, our seniors are really leading. I mean, we, it, we you know, I think we're 60 plus practices in and we haven't had a bad practice yet. You know, I've, I've been waiting to throw them out to practice or <laughs> waiting for, you know, that day where, you know, we just don't have it. But like our seniors just won't allow it. You know, we might have a bad segment here or there, but, you know, with seven of those guys, they're quick to just reel the practice back in. And, you know, they're really taking the ownership of the team. And I think, um, you know, that's been the biggest difference. You know, when these guys were freshmen, and like I said, their freshman year, we had a really good year and lost in the championship. Our senior leadership was tremendous. You know, and I didn't realize how much the leadership uh, was key to that group because that next year when we went nine and 16, we lacked leadership completely, you know? So I think our seniors have just really done a really good job of, you know, taking the ball by the horn and saying like, we're going to be responsible for this year, you know, not only in practice and during games, but off the court, you know, they're policing our younger guys, you know, our our strength and conditioning coach has been raving about, you know, our team's focus and, you know, their mentality this season. I mean, we, done really good in the classroom. First semester, we were above a 3.0 GPA as a team. So, you know, I think our seniors are just, you know, realizing this is the last go-round. You know, there aren't going to be anybody, anyone probably playing professionally afterwards. And this is the last time to, you know, be a part of a team and experience, you know, being a student athlete at the collegiate level. And they're just really taking ownership of it. Sure. How How do you adjust
2: coaching? a team with filled with senior leadership because it is different. It, it's all about the players and they kind of take ownership. And then sometimes you're gonna have those younger teams that don't necessarily have that leadership in terms of players. So how do you kind of adjust your coaching in that way?
0: Yeah, I mean it is it's definitely um it definitely changes year to year. Um you know and a lot of times it's just a a a gut thing as you gauge the temperature of, you know, how the group is uh coming together you know, and like in terms of this year with all the seniors, like we just, you know, they've been in the program for so long. They know how we do things. They know terminology, you know, so we just moved along a lot quicker than we generally would where, you know, graduating seven this year and, you know, probably going to be bringing in a really big recruiting class. I can imagine next year things are going to move a lot slower. There's going to be a lot more teaching, you know, uh, uh, uh we'll probably be behind in terms of the offensive end, in terms of getting things in as the season, you know, progresses. But, you know, that's just, you know, a part of, um, you know, running the college basketball program, you know, things ebbs and flow. Uh, When I first got here, uh, we boarded in a really big senior, a really big freshman class my first year as an assistant coach who wound up, you know, graduating and not my current senior class replaced them so that's kind of how our cycle is going to be every four years we're going to lose a big class and then bring in a big class and you know those first few years things are going to move a lot slower a lot more teaching but then when they become juniors and seniors you know things kind of move along a lot more faster and those guys kind of take ownership and leadership of things.
2: What's it like walking into work every day? Walking to the gym in the office? Like, do you have an extra pep in your step? Just, it's got to be so much fun right now for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's definitely a blessing. I mean, you know, I got into coaching because of, you know, being a former player it allows you to continue to compete every day. So, you know, I don't even consider it work. You know, I wake up. You know, I normally don't need an alarm clock to wake me up. I wake up excited. You know, even in not not, not not only, you know, great years like this, but years where we haven't done so well, you know, it, it doesn't change, you know, the feeling of coming into work every day, knowing that you're going to have an impact on young men's lives and knowing you have an opportunity to teach them life lessons through the game of basketball, which we all love. So, you know, it's definitely, definitely has been a blessing and something that I'm greatly appreciative of.
1: Yeah, we actually on D3 hoops, I think you got, you guys have a chance, not that this means anything at this point in the season, but you have a chance probably to be ranked, uh, come Monday when they, when they redo their rankings. I know you guys have been getting votes the last couple of weeks, so it'll be interesting, but I want to ask you real quick about recruiting because you mentioned you're going to turn over, you know, your goal is like bring in bigger classes as freshmen and then, you know, keep those guys for four years. Obviously, you know, guys move around, but like, And then do you typically recruit like that, like try to have it be a four year cycle so you and you can just fill in the gaps in between or, you know, it is tough, right? You have huge lists. I've seen you, you know, at plenty of events, you know, walking around and evaluating when you're not coaching. So, like, is that typically how you kind of pitched building this program?
0: No, not necessarily. I mean, that's just the way the cookies crumble. You know, like I said, when I when I I was assistant coach for two years, Uh, just give you some background. Uh, My first two years. I was a full-time assistant, and the head coach was part-time. So, um, you know, working for a part-time head coach, we had some um, academic issues, which was why they hired a full-time assistant. Uh, Coach Dorney, who at the time, well, he still does, teaches at Collinswoods High School in South Jersey, uh, he wound up leaving here to go be the head coach at Collinswood. But, you know, with him just being a full-time teacher and not necessarily being at the school, you know, on a consistent basis, no fault to him. There was just nobody here um, having the presence to hold the guys accountable in the classroom, make sure they were getting the help that they need when needed it. So – We long, we want, they wound up losing a lot of guys to academics in that year, that summer where that happened or spring. That's where I got hired. So, you know, kind of came in at that point and it it, it was tough to get a class that late. But that following year, my first year being an assistant, we boarded in a big class, you know, because we needed to just from a number standpoint. So, you know, with us bringing in that big class, I believe it was like nine guys, you know, that first year they were uh, freshmen. My second year being an assistant and then my first year being the head coach, they were sophomores. So when those guys graduated, I mean, I think it was six of them or seven of them. We recruited nine and either six or seven of them made it all the way through. You know, we were just losing like 40 percent of the team. So we had to replace you know, that large class with another large class. And that's my current large class now. So like in an ideal world, I like to carry around 16 guys. I would love to have four, four, four and four in each class year because it makes recruiting, you know, easier, you know, year in and year out. And it balances the classes, but we've been fortunate enough to where, you know, our guys enjoy it here and they stay. So, you know, we're bringing in these big classes and they're staying for their four years. And, you know, then they're graduating and then we have to replace them. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not by design. Um, you know, like I said, it's just the way the cookies crumbled. And, um, you know, though we, we, we are a little more active this year, you know, looking at some transfers, some junior college kids you know, to try to kind of uh, balance the class out to where we might look to bring in seven to replace the seven. But hopefully, you know, it might be two transfers and then five freshmen. So then, you know, we kind of add some balance to the way our rosters form.
1: It's interesting. Your mom played at Arcadia and you're you're a Philly guy. Was that a big part of what made you say, like, I want to be the head coach at Arcadia? Because it's not like when you came in that they, you know, like you said, you weren't really rocking and rolling. And, and I mean, how was that interview process and what made you like made this job so attractive to
0: you? Well, I mean, my mom was a big part of it, not necessarily the the, the fact that she played here. She was sick at the time. So um, okay. I was in my third year working at for under Jess Wilson at East Stroudsburg, my alma mater, when my mom got sick. And, um, you know, I just felt the need to be closer to home, you know, to help her out. You know, after she had a a major operation, you know, be around the house, not only helping her there, but helping financially, you know. So fortunately, the Arcadia assistant position was created, a full-time position was created at that point. And, you know, it was just good timing. You know, um, it was one of the few jobs in the area that was full-time that was open. You know, and, um, you know, it allowed me to get back closer to home to help her out. So it was more one of them things where, you know, while I was working for Coach Wilson at East Stroudsburg, once I was in year three, I did two years as a graduate assistant. Um, year three for me uh, was a volunteer job because I had a full-time job within the athletics department at East Stroudsburg. So, you know, it was an opportunity to be a, in coaching full-time and also an opportunity to you know be back closer to home and it just so happened to be you know her alma mater
1: what what a blessing that the assistant job was full-time too because like that's i mean that's rare man you know what i mean very like the, it's uh-huh. super rare like that's unbelievable what when when uh, the head coach at the time went to coach at collins collinswood in jersey Did this was the first ever head coaching interview that you had had
0: C- correct and it honestly really wasn't an interview it was a promotion Um, I mean, so our athletics director, Brian Granada, um, who I'm in my seventh year as the head coach here, uh, ninth year total. He's in his seventh year as the athletic director. I actually was on the search committee uh, when he came in. So Brian, I believe, was two weeks on the job when Coach Dorney, you know, resigned and said he was going to coach at Collinswood. So, you know, I think being on Brian's search committee and developing some rapport with him, you know, through that process, and then the fact that, I think, Maybe eighty percent of the guys said if Coach Scott doesn't get the job, we're transferring. You know, I mean, Brian brought me in the office. We had a we had a brief conversation, and um, you know, a day later, you know, he offered me the job. So it really wasn't necessarily an interview process. I mean, we, we met, we talked, he asked some questions, you know, but I think it was just a product of um, you know two years as a full time assistant, the experience that I got. Um, being a full-time assistant while working for a part-time head coach, you know, being able to be the recruiting coordinator, you know, manage the budget, do all the academic minoring, you know, things that sometimes, you know, assistant coaches just don't get the opportunity to do because it's just not in the scope of their job description, particularly at the D3 level because a lot of coaches – Assistants at the D3 level are part-time. So, you know, and I think, you know, just doing a good job within those things, you know, um building a good reputation across campus um were vital and essential for Brian to being comfortable, you know, not even opening up a search and just, you know, elevating me from assistant to head coach.
2: At the end of the day, head coaching is... It's the it's a whole different world. Even if you had the most experience, you know, your ten, fifteen years as assistant, you become a head coach. It's a new thing. You're making final calls on everything. You're in game, all of that stuff. What's your adjustment? How have you evolved? I guess as
0: a head coach from your first year to now your seventh year. Yeah, I mean. It's, 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 it's definitely been a process. I think when I first started, you know, two of the biggest difference were like, you know, as an assistant, you got all the suggestions in the world, you know, and if, if the head, if the head coach (laughs) goes with them, great. If not, you know, you know, so be it. You know, you got to still support the head coach. But, you know, now you're going from giving the suggestions to like, you know, how do you, um move through all the suggestions and figure out you know what input you're going to take what makes sense what doesn't make sense you know so that you know that was I I think for anybody going from assistant coach to head coach you know that's one of the biggest differences you know how you manage the game you know when to call timeout you know things of that nature you know so you know I I I I think um you know as as I've progressed and moved on I I think um you know, I'm not as reactive to things that I once was as as starting out as a head coach, you know, where, you know, particularly with this group, like, if we don't start the game off well or teams are going runs, I'm not quick to call timeouts because, you know, I, you know, game basketball is a game of runs and we got a good team. So we tend to, you know, play through that and get back in games. And I would like to, you know, have timeouts for the end of games for execution purposes or, you know, if we need to strategize and press after a free throw maker, things like that. So, you know, just holding on to timeouts, you know, something that. You know, has been different than you know when I first started, and just um, you know, one thing that I'm proud of um, you know, I was very immature with as I first started. You know, just my dealings with the officials. You know, being able to, you know, work with and you know deal with the officials in a much uh better manner than I once did. You know, recognizing and realizing that they're human, and you know, officiating is a tough, 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 tough job, and. You know, just not reacting to every call, you know, not getting on officials throughout the duration of the game and, you know, just letting them do their job and realizing that, you know, mistakes are going to be made just like our guys make mistakes and I make mistakes as coaches, you know. So I think those are two of the big things. I know going from head assistant coach to head coach, one of the toughest things for me was just uh, the separation. Um, I needed to put on some of the relationships with the players you know, as an assistant coach, you know, you kind of like big brother. You like to go between between the head coach. You know, the setup was awkward because Coach Dorney was part time and he wasn't here. So like throughout the course of the day, the kids would come in the office and just hang out and talk and things like that. You know, and then when you become a head coach, you kind of got to separate some of that stuff now because, you know, it, it made it tough to like discipline and get on some of the guys because we had such good relationships you know, so, you know, that was a big adjustment for me. But, you know, I think our guys early on, uh, while it was an adjustment, they understood the need for that. And, um, you know, they, they responded appropriately. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an ever-evolving process. You know, um, you know another thing um, I've learned, um, you know, to trust your guys. You know, trust the work that they put in. Trust, you know, what they show every day in practice. Don't be so reactive to, you know, guys missing shots or not making plays because that happens, you know. Now guys are totally off their rockers and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. That's a different story. But, you know, if you got a guy that, you know, consistently shows in practice every day that he's capable of doing something and it just might not be his day in the game, like, don't be so reactive to that and, like, take him out or, like, take away his confidence you know, things like that are things that I think um, I've gotten better with over the course of the years. And, you know, just in-game adjustments, you know, being able to recognize what's working, what's not working, you know, and get into the halftime and, you know, kind of fix that. I was talking to my AD a couple weeks ago and he was just, you know, saying how we're, you know, we're a slow starting team and, You know, we always seem to figure it out. And, you know, I I told him, you know, I don't necessarily think we're a slow-starting team. You got to understand that while we're game-planning, other teams are game-planning. So you're watching film and you're trying to figure out what's the best way to go win the game. And the other teams are doing that too. So then you get in the game and what you thought might happen might not happen. Like yesterday, Messiah played the zone the entire game. You you know, so you get in at halftime and you – assess what's been going on and you make adjustments. And, um, you know, I think as I've evolved as a coach, our in-game and halftime adjustments have gotten a lot better. And I think our teams historically have performed much better, you know, in the second half. So, um, you know, lastly, just, you know, having the wherewithal and the ability to trust in the guys that you hire to help you out. You know, I I try, try to value the input of our assistants, You know, let them feel like their voice is always heard, you know, not only in games, but in practice. And, um, you know, if this coach is responsible for this scout, then, you know, I'm going to be a little bit more inclined to listen to him during the games. You know, so trying to empower my assistants, trying to delegate, trying to give them opportunities to grow in the profession, you know, is definitely something I think, you know, as I've uh, progressed in my career, I've gotten better at
2: Yeah. And that's super interesting. We talk about this a lot is that uh, how do you, you know, kind of interact and build your relationships, not so much externally, but internally with your staff and help them grow. How have you approached that? And has that changed at all? I'm sure that stems a little bit from East Stroudsburg days because Jeff Wilson has a great reputation of, Mm -hmm. you know, assistant coaches on to head and really preparing them for those Division Two, II, Division Three jobs, where it's not just you know, it's not just coaching basketball. People, a lot of people don't realize that it's you're wearing a million different hats. Mm-hmm. You're checking classes. You're, you've got to make sure the relationships are built with the parents, the academic side of things. Everything is working that way. So, can you can you just talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, just for stars, you know, Coach Wilson does an excellent job, like you said, of you know, preparing his guys because he holds us accountable. You know, like, you know, if you if you work for Coach Wilson, he's demanding, he holds you accountable, but it's because, you know, he's trying to get you to where you want to be, you know, and he he wants his program to be at a certain standard, you know, and I I learned from Coach Wilson more than anything, you know, the professionalism that's needed to be successful, you know, in this profession. And then secondly, you know, I learned from Coach Wilson, you know, the, the, the process and the grind that it takes to be successful and not taking days off. Just like we tell our players, don't take plays off. You know, it's no different in coaching and where, you know, we can't take days off You constantly. got to be making contacts with recruits, you know, AAU coaches, high school coaches, you know, people that can help you get players because the players are what's going to help you be successful, you know, so learn from coach Wilson, just the professionalism and the grind, particularly as it relates to recruiting, you know, and the preparation, you know, and, As it relates to getting ready for games, you know, but as we, as you talk about, you know, um, you know, my assistance and working with those guys internally, I think it starts with, uh, you know, understanding, you know, why they're coaching and what their goals are. You know, I I have four assistants and, um, I think each, each one of them is a little bit different in terms of where they are in their career and where they want to go with their career. So I got um, my high school coach, Charles Brown, from Engineering and Science, who um, you know, I believe Coach Brown spent 37, 38 years at Engineering and Science before he retired. Um, and, you know, Coach Brown has no aspirations of coaching at a higher level or moving on. He just loves the game and he wants to be around it. You know, so, uh, you know, for Coach Brown, I you know, I rely on him more so, you know, in practice, particularly, you know, as it relates to our defensive schemes Um, he doesn't have a ton of recruiting responsibilities. He's more of a guy that, you know, shows up every day, every practice. And, you know, he's kind of my go-to guy in practice, you know, where I have another assistant, Omar Wells, who's actually an alum who, um, Omar predated me on staff, and I knew Omar because he's from, we grew up in the same area, so I knew Omar for years prior to actually coming here. Uh, You know, somebody I kept on board when I got on staff, when I got the job, you know, alumni, got a different type of love for the program. You know, Omar, I mean, he'll just go above and beyond and do anything for the program, but Omar doesn't necessarily, he's not necessarily looking to progress his coaching career. You know, he's coaching here because he went here and he loves the school. You know, so, um, you know, um, you know, Omar is just, you know, kind of that guy that works behind the scenes, you know, with the kids that go between, you know, they call him Uncle O, you know, so a lot of them are like, you know, when things are going wrong for them personally or they're struggling with something, you know, prior to maybe coming to me, they'll go to Coach O, get his take on it. You know, things like that, not just normally with his work schedule. You know, he's got a really nice job where again, he's not necessarily looking to progress in the co- coaching profession. You know, um, and his time restrictions also, you know, ma- married with kids. Um. You know, we might just give him two or three guys that we want him to focus on with recruiting. Like, these are your guys. You just, you know, work on these two or three. And then I got two younger guys, um, Tank Schiffert, uh, who's in his first year with me. Um, Tank came from, uh, Slippery Rock after doing the G8 there. Uh, prior to that, he worked for Coach Potts, who also, uh, came from Coach Wilson's coaching Was Coach Wilson's, um, Assistant for years, and he's now the head coach at Moravian. Tank was with Coach Potts for a year, and he was a four-year manager at East Stroudsburg. You know, Tank wants to be full-time in the profession. He wants to progress and work. So, you know, I'm giving Tank a little bit more. You know, he's coordinating, like, our recruiting efforts, you know, giving him more work in the office as it relates to, you know, scouting and uh, film breakdown and stuff like that, you know, trying to prepare him, you know, for his next opportunity. Also, giving him, you know, some more administrative tasks that is going to make it more marketable, like, you know, being responsible for alumni newsletters and contacts with alum, working with our enrollment management you know, to kind of figure out where recruits are in the process, you know, working with families and parents to schedule visits and things like that, and uh, you know, gradually giving him more and more as it relates to on-court coaching, as he, you know, kind of gets more uh, versed in, you know, how we look to do things from a basketball perspective, you know, and and Chris Harris is very similar, you know, um, Chris um, is looking to progress in the profession, so you know, he's getting a lot of the same responsibilities as tank, and those two guys or my guys that are on the road constantly, you know, recruiting. So, no, I, it just, I think, um, starts with knowing what your guys are looking to do long term and trying to prepare them to get there or prepare them through their next opportunities.
1: Guys, we got to take a quick break. As you rev your engines with the start of NASCAR racing season, Podcast One is your pit stop for the best car podcasting around. Team up with Adam Carolla and friends on CarCast as they explore all aspects of the automotive space from car buying to news about the industry. Then drive into Motorsport Talk with Shift and Steer. Then stop by Spike's Car Radio as comedy writer Spike hopes hosts a roundtable with his celebrity friends about all things cars. Download CarCast and Spike's Car Radio every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
2: 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with TrueCar. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate true cash offer from a local true car certified dealer it's that easy after that you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together you can ask questions to get the answers you need so there's no surprises then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride so when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car check out true car today
1: and now back to justin scott what, uh, one of the things I think is really interesting about you is you're talking about, you have a couple guys on your staff that so they just really love coaching basketball, but, but you obviously love coaching basketball as well because you, you coach all year round pretty much, you know, like as soon as you season's over, you're on the AAU circuit with KLOW elite. And then, you know, you did coach in FIBA qualifying and, and I, I think that's super interesting. How did that come about? Like how did you get that opportunity? And, and what was that like, you know, going from coaching college to coaching, you know, European style
0: basketball? Right. Right. So uh, Coach St. Vincent and the Grenadines national team um, coached them in um, FIBA qualifiers, two separate summers. First one in 2015 and then this past summer in 18. Uh, My mom's from St. Vincent. She was born there. Uh, She moved to America, I believe, when she was 10 or 11. So um, I think it was 2014 or so. I was going to St. Vincent for the first time. Um, You know, so just in preparation for the trip and being the basketball junkie that I am, you know, I'm just on the online looking up basketball in St. Vincent and just seeing if there were any opportunities, not looking for a job or anything like were there any t- leagues, any tournaments, any camps, anything going on that I could come watch or help out with, you know, for the two week period that I was going to be there. So I had stumbled across their national teams page and on Facebook and I just send a message, you know, I'm here coach at Arcadia and my mom's from St. Vincent. You know, these are the dates I'm going to be there. Is there anything that I can, you know, witness, help out with? You know, I just like being around a game of basketball and I would love to see, you know, how it's developing, you know, there. And um, the the president at the time of the federation, you know, who was also the, the, the he just got elected as uh, pre- president of the federation, but he was the previous coach. So you know, he kinda got back to me and told me they were doing they were in some transition and he'll make sure he'll circle back to me, you know, before uh my visit and he, he did as he got the president job. And you know, we had a nice conversation. You know, I asked for my resume and he told me, you know, going from coach to president, he wanted to find a new coach because his uh responsibilities and folks need to be more, you know, administrative and running the program and raising funds for the program. And um, you know, I sent him my resume. We had a you know, nice conversation and a few days later he had offered me the job to coach the team. So, you know, when I went there on my visit, you know, met with him, showed me around, met with some different, you know, uh, organizers and people that run the Federation. And um, you know, I I've been I've been dug in with them now for four years. So and we've done well. I mean, um, you know, the the two tournaments I coached the guys in, we went three and three in both. Um 10-team tournament. We finished six, I believe, in 15. We finished fifth this year. Uh, easily could have won it. Um, all three of our losses were in the overtime. Guyana, who won it, we lost in double overtime to them, the game that we gave away on three separate occasions. Um, you know, but it's, it's grown from 15 to 18. 18 while we were – 15 while we were 3-3 three and three, and 18 we were 3-3. In 15, we got blew out in all three of our losses where all of our losses in 18 were in overtime and we were much more competitive. And, you know, the roster's gotten better. And in 15, it was just show up. Here's your team. Here's a one hour practice before your first game where in 18, you know, we had a little three day training camp, which was a step up from 15, which definitely played dividends in terms of our ability to prepare and our ability to you know, go out there and try to win it. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what 2020 holds, uh, cause I think we're very close to qualifying for that next leg of the America Cup. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been a great experience. Um, you know, the FIBA game's different, a lot more physical. Um, you know, the officials let a lot more go. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, the talent level varies. You know, I am on my roster this past year. You know, I, I had, um, couple division one players you know guys who played division one um and then I had some guys who you know it was their first experience you know outside of outdoor leagues in St. Vincent (laughs) you know so the the it's it's a wide margin of talent yeah at least our team was a wide margin now if we can put together our best team if schedules align for everybody I think our team across the board can be could consist of guys who played, you know, college basketball, whether it was Division 1 through 3, Um, you know, because we do, we do have a lot of talent. We do have a lot of talent, you know, amongst the, um, you know, players from St. Vincent and the Grenadines because St. Vincent and the Grenadines, St. Vincent is the main island and then you got the Grenadine Islands, which are, I believe, five different islands. So you're pulling talent from like six different islands. You know, um, although a lot of the people on our team, you know, were born there and eventually moved to America. So, you know, like we had a kid that played that Maris, Philip Lawrence Rex. He's actually from uh, Philly, but he went to high school at Mount St. Joe down in Baltimore. Um, another kid. Well, they, they are men. I'm sitting here saying kid. Another person on the team, Sean Baptiste, uh, who played at FDU, you know, so... Um, we had a guy, John Gardner, played that saying, uh, saying Houston State. Um, you know, so there's guys. There's definitely guys, and some of these guys are still, you know, playing professionally in York, You know, or different places overseas. So, you know, there's definitely some talent there. And uh, as we've gotten better, I think the government has seen that if they can dump more resources into the program, particularly with the opportunity to train and practice. Leading up to the tournaments, like that gives us a better chance to go out and win it. Because a lot of the teams that are winning and placing and qualifying, you know, they're 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 practicing, you know, three, four, five weeks up to two months prior prior to the tournament starting. You know, so uh, you know it's exciting, man. It's definitely exciting. You know, it's um it's opened up doors for me in terms of you know my network, um you know. I don't know if it's going to happen at Arcadia, given that, um, you know, we're division three and we, you know, in the Internet without athletic scholarships. It makes it tough for international students to come here, you know, but I would like to believe if I'm fortunate enough to move up at some point in my career, the relationships that I'm building from coaching in the FIBA is going to help me be able to bring some international kids to, you know, my next stop if it happens to be at the scholarship level.
1: Uh, I, I think it's interesting that you're coaching FIBA, you're coaching college, and then you, you decide that you want to, you've been coaching the A on the AAU circuit for a number of years. Now I, I've seen you coach and I I was laughing earlier when you were talking about being good to the referees. Cause you're about one of the only guys that I <laughs> see coach on a regular basis that like is pretty even keel about the things that go on. And you know, even some, some guys in your own organization are, are, you know, they, they, they're adamant about it, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know, I, I think, uh, Coaching AAU is a real interesting bird. And you, and you coached a really good team. You coached the Kayla Ali Blue seniors, you know, Keyshawn Kelman going to Princeton or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you think that helps you, too? Because it's, it's, this is a, even a third different style of basketball that you have right. to coach, you know. Right. Different practices. You got other people you got to listen to. It's like, how, how do you kind of manage, like, coaching, like, all three different avenues?
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, I, that, it's different. But I think, you know, it's all basketball at the end of the day. You know, and, um, you know, what I believe in and what I value as a coach, that doesn't change. You know, playing the right way, playing defense, sharing the ball, moving the ball, you know, getting player and man movement, getting the ball side to side, that's going to open up opportunities for closeouts and for guys to make plays. So that doesn't change, you know, and, and, and teaching the guys to game. The right way doesn't change, and, you know. And
1: you, it, you get a fair amount of freedom. At least this summer, I thought you got way more freedom as a head coach than you did in, you know, with the previous organization you were with. That's at least what I thought, just in in terms of seeing it myself.
0: No, I, I agree. Well, well, I think, the, and one of the reasons I changed the organizations because I got into coaching AAU because as a Division three coach, we get our nineteen weeks. We get from October fifteenth to your last game, and that's it. And you got five, six months that you got to wait until October 15th again. So for me, the primary reason getting into coaching AAU was to be on the floor more, was to teach more, to work on my craft more. And going from Jersey Shore to K-Low was because K-Low practices regularly, you know, and that gave me the avenue and opportunity to be in the gym regularly with our guys, you know. Um you know, so, you know, and, and Lonnie does a tremendous job of administering the k program. And, uh, you know, he kind of gave me the ultimate freedom to run my team as I saw fit, you know. So, um, you know, I think the biggest difference is from coaching college to coaching FIBA to coaching AAU. It's just um, the personalities you have to deal with. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: You know, you know, you know, college. You know, I'm with my guys more. I recruited these kids like the level of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, how I can be on them and how hard I can coach them is different than, you know, my group of K-Lo kids who all play for different high school coaches that coach them different way that I only have for two or three months.
1: Right, and, and if you're on a kid on k a bunch, and this is just a, the na- the nature of the AAU circuit, but if, if a kid's pissed off, he might go play with another team in another tournament. That doesn't happen in, you know, a kid can transfer. Right. It doesn't happen on, like, a week-to-week basis, which it can happen in April and July.
0: Exactly, you know? exactly. You know, and then coaching the international, like, you, a lot of the guys are, are men, like, my age, older than me. You know, so just... You know, the way that I, I deal with the guys varies. I think that's the biggest thing from college to AAU to FIBA, you know. But, you know, the, the, the AAU thing, man, it's, it's been a blessing. You know, like I said, uh, being able to work on my craft is important to me and the main reason I got into it. And then secondary, being able to develop relationships develop relationships with kids, you know, that might lead to me getting a guy, you know, Um Within the K-Lo team last year, I mean, there, there aren't too many guys on that team for me at this level, but who knows? It might not work out at a Division two spot, and then they had a good experience playing for Coach Scott for K-Lo. I'm that first call, Then they're yeah. looking to transfer. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you, you also get the opportunity to interact with kids on the team that you're playing against that you might be recruiting. Whereas if you're just sitting in the stands as a coach, can't talk to them. You know, but if you're on the floor coaching against them, I can have conversations with them. You know, I can engage them. They can see how I am as a coach. You know, so a lot of the kids we were recruit are recruiting currently, like are kids that I coached against in the AAU circuit. You know, so yeah,
2: the, um, the NCA is putting a monitor now, though, on next to every AU coach. So if you do talk <laughs> to a kid, they're going to ding you. Wouldn't put it past
1: them. <laughs> <laughs> this, is my favorite, this is my favorite Justin Scott quote of all time. He comes in. They, they were playing like a game. He always was, would take extra games if we needed him to take extra games. right? it would be like, all right, we got to play. So he would stay and recruit. So we had like an eight o'clock game or a nine o'clock game needed to fill. It, and he was like, man. Forget these kids. They got to play. They need people to see them. And I got to be here for five hours anyway. What's happening at 940?
2: I love it, man. I love it. But one more question before we um... – dive into some segments you hold a board position with the danny rumpf classic Mm -hmm. for non-philadelphia listeners can you just talk about the organization what it what it actually means for the city real real quick let me jump in this
1: was the craziest i i when i moved to when i started going to temple and started working with basketball team i didn't know anything about danny rumpf and every year it's like the biggest deal in the summer like everybody's playing for a team it's like i I swear to god justin dudes were like betting on games too not that Mm -hmm. that that's inconsequential to you but like it's a huge deal. Like, James Harden's played and stuff. And, yep. you know, what I mean, yep. the pros, the Morris Twins always, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a huge deal. And I, I wanted to make sure we kind of called it out because of how much it's grown, even in, like, the eight or nine years since, like, right. I've been, you know, a, a part of the Philly
0: basketball community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so so Danny was one of my best friends, um, close friends. Um, you know, we grew up in the same rec center, grew up playing on, you know, all the teams from, you know, the time we were in, like, middle school through high school um you know up until the time he died uh Danny played division 1 at Western Kentucky really good player i thought would have had the opportunity to you know if not sneak into the nba definitely being overseas you know making a lot of money you know um he 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 was, he was awesome man and Danny was so cerebral and, and so humble and so quiet you know, guys that never really got a chance to see him play didn't know how good he was. I mean, he he really was that good. But you know, Danny uh, unfortunately collapsed and passed from a um, heart condition, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. You know, one summer when we were home all home from college in the rec center that we grew up playing in, Mallory Rec, which has now been renamed after him, the Daniel Daniel E Rump Center. Um, and you know, Danny collapsed. He passed. Um, you no, know, none of us, it was 20 plus guys in the gym knew, you know, uh, CPR. There wasn't an AED, uh, uh, of, a defibrillator in the gym and, and the ambulance took forever to get there. Whereas if, you know, any of us knew CPR, there were AED, we could have revived him or if the ambulance got there quick enough, he could have been revived. So, you know, after Danny passed his, um, his, his uncle and his mom, you know, started a foundation in his name to raise awareness about the, you know, the, the, the heart disease, southern, um, hypertrophy, hypertrophy, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and, uh, sudden cardiac arrest. So, you know, on the onset of us starting the foundation is centered around reactive measures like, you know, providing free AD and CPR training, tra- training, you know, for the Philadelphia community. Um, and we also focused on putting ADs in all the rec centers in the, in, in the city. Um, a few years back, it might be about five years now. Um, we uh, made a deal with the fire department where, when they got new AEDs, they gave us all the AEDs they had. So we were able to put AEDs in every single rec center in the city, as well as all the police athletic centers in the city. You know, so as we kind of accomplished that goal of providing all the uh, AEDs, we then started moving forward to uh, doing more proactive measures, which were uh, doing free heart screenings. Because, you know, if Danny had a free, if Danny had a heart screening as a kid, and this isn't something, these heart screenings aren't something that are needed for high school participation in athletics. They aren't needed for participation in collegiate athletics. Had he had a heart screening, they would have been able to detect this condition. And then he could have, you know, got follow-up to where, you know, that situation that happened. So, we now, we try to do, um, one to two free heart screenings a year, uh, and with the Rumpf Classic growing, um, in terms of, like you said, NBA pros coming to play, being able to play in bigger, better venues. You know, when we first started, it was in the rec center and then it kind of outgrown it. You know, we had it for two years here at Arcadia. We've been at LaSalle. Um, we were at Philly Community College. We've done it at, um, you know, Chestnut Hill College, as it's grown and as we've been able to have it at bigger venues and charge, all the money that we're raising are going towards being able to provide these free heart screenings to, to the youth of the Philadelphia area. So, you know, very proud and happy to say in the years that we've been doing our heart screenings, we've detected heart conditions in several youth and they've been able to follow up and get the treatment needed and necessary, you know, so, some parents didn't have to fill with Miss Candy which is Danny's mom and you know his dad had to fill with the sudden passing you know because um the 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 condition went undetected so you know while the Rump Classic is like one of our signature events of the foundation we also do other things throughout the year to raise money and raise awareness you know for the for the cause I mean we're still doing you know the uh AD and CPR classes you know, and the heart screenings are ongoing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very good cause, you know, and, um, you know, the city really shows up and supports it. Um, like you said, I mean, the, the 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 talent level of players that have come through and played in the tournament is, is astounding, and uh, the level of support we get from the affiliate basketball community has been great and, uh, you know, something that we look forward to continue to build to carry on his name and his legacy.
1: Yeah, I mean it's an unbelievable tournament. Like it's it just rocks in there. It's a couple days long. Like I mean, that, like I said, and it's awesome that the foundation works year round. I mean that's even a better deal, you know. And something that I actually, I mean, I knew that it was a year round thing, but I didn't know about like the heart screenings and stuff. So mm-hmm. and that stuff is super cool. Uh, let's jump to coach speak real quick. I just got one for you, and I don't know if you saw this yesterday because you had a game, but NC State scored twenty four points in a, in an entire Division one game yesterday. So. Kevin Keats said, "I don't know if I've ever been part of a game where none of our guys played well. I'm just curious. As a younger head coach, what do you do when you have a game like that where everything just kind of goes wrong? How do you build your guys' confidence and get them back on track?"
0: Um, you know, you got you got you got to focus on the positives. You know, I, I think in any situation like that or any loss, you know, while you 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 want to address. Where, where things went wrong and work to improve them. But I think the big thing is focusing on the positives and, um, you know, how can you build off the positives, you know, where they're getting good shots and they just weren't foul-falling. I mean, I didn't see that score nor did I see the highlights of the game, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure 24 points wasn't a product of them, you know, just playing awful, you know. I mean, some days, like I tell my guys all the time, like, our defense can – and we'll always travel if you guys bring it. Like some days we're just not going to have it offensively, you know. So are we defending well enough to be in games? Are we not turning it over, you know, where we're giving teams extra possessions and taking away possessions from us? Or are we boxing out and holding teams to one shot? You know, are we getting on the offensive glass and creating extra possessions for ourselves? So, you know, just trying to focus on the positive, you know, one thing, you know, I think I've, I've, I've learned and I've gotten better at is, uh, You know, not being so quick to say this happened or this is why we lost, like being able to go back and review the film, because sometimes you think you played worse than you actually did, you know, or sometimes you just got to give your opponents credit, you know. So being able to watch the film and identify what went well, what went wrong and, you know, kind of focus on those things and build off of that.
1: Yeah, they, uh, I, I know you said you didn't see it. They they, they they made nine shots the whole game. I think they were two for 28 from three. So like, Yeah, you think like when you give up 47 points at home, like you're going to win that game most of the time. Like you said, you're deep. So they actually were like okay Fast. defensively. I've right. just never seen – honestly, it's like one of those games where it's just like a lid on the basket. They had open shots. I mean, they, yep. they just – I've never seen anything like it. Like I said, it was – the. I think it was the lowest amount of points ever scored by a ranked team, like at least since there's been a shot clock. That shit was right.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that sounds, I mean, we didn't, like last year in our semifinal game at Albright, I mean, 24 to 12 at the half. You know, I think we scored 40, 45 points in the game, but we held them to like 57 and they were scoring like 80 plus on the year. So we defended well enough to win. We just couldn't throw it in the ocean.
1: Yeah, sometimes you just don't. That's what I said. It's like it's like one of those situations where you're like, I'm gonna watch the film, but like. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to take from this other than, Mm -hmm. like, hey, guys, like, these are open shots and I know you can make them, you know. It just didn't didn't happen one day. Like, you don't expect all 10 of your dudes to just have the worst game of their career on the same night,
0: you know. Right, (laughs) right, Definitely.
2: We've been there, Temple of Richmond. What was that, 2010, 2011, Tyler? sixteen, thirteen at half. It just happens,
0: man. Uh-huh. Sometimes.
2: But, uh, you know, uh, taking it to our next segment, we have the city review, and you're a Philly guy, which definitely gets me going. Tyler's a transplant, obviously, or was here for a time. But Philly reviews always get me excited because there's so many good spots in Philly. Now, the whole premise of the city review is coaches. Go To different places to recruit, so they need to know where they're getting food, you know, maybe a, a night spot. So, give me three restaurants, two night spots, and one activity you do in the city
0: uh, three restaurants. Um, my cheese steak spot is Della I'm okay. pretty you sure, a Chubby's guy, so
2: we can we can play around. You're, that. cool. you're an idiot, you're
0: an idiot. <laughs> hey, that's just Phil, you better. that's really you thing, man. <laughs> man. That's what we do. Che- cheesecake Spot I'd definitely say Delisandro's. Um, you know, if I'm gonna go sit down and, and have a, a nice meal, you know, I like Devin in um in uh center city. Devon's a good spot. Um and then, you know, um Soul Food Spot, I like Relish. Relish has a great um relish is up on Ogon's Avenue and in, in West Oak Lane. They have a great um uh brunch. Sunday brunch. Yeah, yeah, big spread. You know, you uh, got to take your appetite. You go there. So, you know, definitely three of my favorite spots. Justin, um, how, you,
1: how do you get your cheesesteak at Dallas Honors? You mix it up or you get the same thing every single time?
0: No, uh, I mean, I, 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 I mainly get a chicken one, but, uh, you know, I do get beef from time to time and, uh, you know, a little light mayo, salt, pepper, ketchup, sweet peppers. <laughs> yeah. No fried onions. Yeah,
2: that's good. No, I, yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a sol- that's a solid order. It doesn't sound really Philly to me, but that's, that's a solid that's order. Not that's Not with Mayo in this store. He's sound like La- our guy Pete Lapis at FDU. That's what he does. He gets like mushrooms, peppers. He's got the whole thing going. So you guys can hang out. That's cool. <laughs> He's from Westchester, though. That's the problem. Or Amherst. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's the big problem.
1: <laughs> well, what so what give about – uh, nice Oh, problems. yeah, go ahead, Smalls.
0: Two night spots. Oh, that's a good question. I don't go out much. Uh my nights yeah. are filled uh normally with watching film, trying to prepare. Uh but two night spots. Um uh uh like Fat Tuesdays from time to time on South Street. South Philly, yes, a little South Street, a little, a little
2: action there. It's got a big place, a little up and down, got a nail salon below. I love it. Get yourself a frozen drink there, right? Exactly.
0: Exactly. You know, and then if I'm, uh, you know, just keep it in the neighborhood, being from uh, Germantown, uh, the Crab House spot on Germantown Avenue, seafood, you know, some some nice adult beverages.
2: All right. A little adult soda action, some seafood. I can always get down with that. Who's our guy? Our guy, Dwayne Lee, right? We, We bring Dwayne Lee down. Justin Scott, Dwayne Lee. He loves seafood he will we'll have a couple adult sodas and we'll have a good time. I'm in.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it like Dwayne Lee that played at St. Joe's. Yep.
2: Hell yep, yeah. Yeah. Him. Dwayne okay. loves seafood. He loves bowling, so we can do the whole thing in Philly with him.
0: We <laughs> we we played against them several times in AAU coming up. I think me and Dwayne were the same year in high school.
1: Who did uh, Who'd you play AAU for, Justin?
0: Uh, I played with uh, Philadelphia Phoenix. So Horace Owens, who's on the staff, coached that team. Yeah, yeah, we 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 had a good team. We had a good run. A lot of talent on that team. Um, yeah,
1: that's a you date you dating yourself a little bit if Pappy
2: was coaching AAU back. Yeah, then, but, um,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now give me one activity we got to do in Philly. We're coming to the town. You're taking us around. What are we
0: doing in Philadelphia? Oh man, what are we doing in Philly? I haven't done it yet, but it's like the new thing that everybody's hip to. Like, all oh, my buddies been raving about it. I want to try It's the axe throwing.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. super popular now.
0: Yeah, done yeah. It. I haven't done it yet. We got a spot right around the corner from the school. It's a BYOB. And, um, you know, I actually want to, um, you know, as things die down, I want to have a little staff night out, take the staff over. You know so for
2: is. the Jameer Nelson Foundation, that's one of the things we did. We had a big axe throwing event. I was really good. I made the finals. Now lost, second place, first loser. Nothing to brag about, but I'm pretty good.
0: So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do axe
2: throwing and bowling. That's what we're doing. A- I axe love it. Throwing, Axe throwing is super fun. They got like leagues and stuff now.
1: People go throw yeah. axes like every it's night. Fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty low overhead. Your insurance is probably high, but you just gotta put up <laughs> like some wooden boards and buy like ten axes and right. just spray paint a bullseye on there so uh-huh. you can make a lot of money now, you know? Like <laughs> seems like we need to get in that business yeah. there.
0: Yeah, right, I'm I'm looking forward to trying that out.
1: All right, ten touches. Uh, rapid fire question and answer. Justin, who's the funniest uh, person you've ever worked with or you uh, you ever coached?
0: Uh funniest person I ever worked with is uh Mike Morak, who's actually the um um mike is the director of the danny rumpf uh classic okay. and founder of the classic uh by far funny mike was on staff with me here at arcadia for two years and uh just hilarious kept the guys r- laughing kept the the staff laughing always had the right joke at the right time uh definitely by far the funniest guy i've worked with
1: what's uh what's been your toughest travel experience as a as a coach?
0: We went to Hawaii last year for uh, Thanksgiving break. While wow, Hawaii was beautiful, and our time in Hawaii was amazing, that flight was tough—thirteen hours. And how about this? On our way back, right coming back, um, one of our players checked his wallet in his bag. He checked his bag with his wallet. That's in. Ch- so, uh, so, what an, what, that's so, because so, when we went. Right when we went, all the players checked themselves in through the kiosk. But when we kept, were leaving, our first player at the kiosk went to check in and then spit out everybody's boarding pass. So he had everybody's boarding pass. So the rest of the players never had to physically take their wallets out and check themselves in. So this young man, I guess, since he never took his wallet out and got his ID out, you know, he just checked his bag. So we get up to security, and here he doesn't have his ID. So now he has to go through all these additional screens, which cost us to, you know, the whole team's boarded and on the flight and we get to the gate and the doors of the flight are closed and they weren't opening them for. Us. So me and him wound up spending an additional day in Hawaii while the team was back. <laughs> you know, we got we got back the next day. And we actually played that day. So I missed practice the day before the game. I got back. We got back probably around like 12. Mind you, we flew into New York. Um, we And I was just exhausted and got to the game. And, and we wound up losing a, a, a close game. But, you know, that long flight going and coming. But then the fact that, uh, you know, he had, um, you know, cost us to stay an extra day definitely was the toughest travel experience coaching. <laughs>
1: wow that's i just players do crazy stuff man it's like you've never been on an airplane or something you can't blame them you know like
0: yeah and it was his first tough. flight you know i wasn't mad at him by yeah. no stretch of the imagination
1: yeah it's just tough what's uh what if, you, if you're not watching film because i know you're doing a lot what what tv show are you uh binge
0: watching <laughs> binge watching um me and my fiance, we just finished watching queen of the south um watched the first two um seasons of that um no, waiting for it to come back on the Ozark. That was another good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Like the Ozark. Um no, those are two good ones.
1: What uh what would you be doing if you weren't coaching?
0: If I wasn't coaching, um uh, man, I I, I, I think I I would love to be in the like uh commentating, broadcasting or as analyst. You know, I initially was a communications major in college because I had um, aspirations of, you know, going into that field.
1: Okay. Who was the uh, toughest Philly player you ever had to guard?
0: Toughest Philly player ever had to guard? That's a lot of them. Yeah. People don't
1: know, man. man. They don't know know what it's like.
0: That's a lot of them. Let me see. Who...
2: Yeah, and there's a lot of opportunities because you're playing in a lot of different avenues, especially mm-hmm. when you're playing, you know, rec center, on the street, yeah. you know, in league, Sunny Hill, if you're playing there. So, yeah, I'll so give you're you give you th- a whole wealth of guys.
0: I, I, I'll give you four. Um, Mustafa Shakur.
2: There you go. McDonald's you go. All-American
1: <laughs> NBA guy.
0: Yeah, Maurice Rice.
1: Yeah, Mo Rice could light it up. Strawberry Mansion, baby. Nobody will ever understand how good Maurice Rice was in high school. Like oh, that phenomenal. Would give, he would give anybody just straight buckets, and and you'd see him, you'd be like, he's like 5'8, 5'9. He might be 230 pounds. I'm not sure. And just a straight up bucket getter. Like unreal was, how good
0: of a Yeah, I mean he was he, he's legit six foot six one. Him and my brother are actually good friends. So he, he's definitely he's not that small, but I know exactly no, no, what no, you mean. Not. I mean, in this era, Maurice Rice is a high major player.
1: Hundred percent. I mean he ended up going he went to George Washington, right? He I went mean, to like, George
0: Washington and had a really good career, but I mean he he's playing in the power five conference in this year in, in this in this era.
1: You remember primetime shootout, him against LeBron mm-hmm. at like the Palestra? It was like must see TV. Like it yep. was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry to cut you off.
0: Two more. Yeah. Two so more. so uh, Matt Walsh.
2: Oh, there you go. Yeah. GA. Yeah, Germantown Wight-town Academy. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And Later then, we'll uh, um, I would throw in Mike Cook.
1: Oh, Mike Cook was really good.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mike yeah. Cook was Mike. really good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> take
2: it. Those, those are good ones. if you. If you could change one thing about college basketball,
0: what would it be? If I could change one thing about college basketball, you know what's funny? I'm actually on the National Rules Committee. So, of you're um, yeah, so we're, we've actually, uh, there might be some changes coming to the game. There's definitely going to be some changes that are being voted on, like uh, widening the paint, uh, moving the three point line back, going to four quarters. Um, being able to advance the ball in the last, I think, minute All or that. two. I'd be um, really excited about that one. I mean, some things I'm for, some things I'm against. Um, you know, Out I, of
2: those, what's the one that you're most for?
0: Uh, I mean, I think widening the paint and the three-point line go hand in. I think if you widen the paint, you have to move the three-point line back. I think you can move the three-point line back and keep the paint uh, the same. Um, I'm not for full four quarters. You know, because I, I don't want to get rid of the one and one. You know, I think that's something that makes if you if, if you can guard without fouling, like you shouldn't be penalized for that.
1: No, yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, I think the game is like foul situations in one and one and stuff are too much embedded in like the fabric of college basketball. It's like how guys have coached for years. But I do like moving the. I, I like moving the three point line back to the FIBA distance. I just think that's better because the majority of kids are going to play in that style if they play professionally. So it just seems like, hey, like, why don't we, you know, kind of add to that. But.
0: And, and with the exception of corner threes, like the best shooters on any team at any level, they're not hugging the line. They're two, three feet behind it consistently. So, I, I mean, I I, 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 I would I widen the paint and move the line back. You know, I, I think, um, you know, at the Division Three level, at least widening the paint. I think, as a defensive-minded coach is something that can make our team better defensively because, you know, you're moving the paint out. You only got a three-quarter post. I would just play behind guys. And I, I don't know if guy, big guys at this level are consistently good enough to catch it a foot and a half away from where their current block is and be able to get to the rim consistently and be effective. So then your weak side doesn't necessarily need to be on the rim. You could cheat out and get... shooters quicker on skip passes so you know I'm looking at that from a defensive perspective and um, you know how our defense can be better and how we can capitalize on you know the paint being widened. you know and and for me like we've had an all-conference post guy every year I've been here and we've been successful recruiting good posts and developing post players I feel like you know, while we can capitalize it on defense, our post players are going to be good enough. Where a foot and a half isn't going to be a detriment to them still being able to be successful because of our development of post guys.
2: Yeah, so it's a potential two way advantage. What's your best moment as a coach?
0: Best moment as a coach? Oh, um, uh, I would say Kagi uh, two? i Yeah. yeah. You so, too. so you the the, the the best moment is always watching the guys walk across the stage and get their diploma. You know, I mean, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, recruiting these kids, seeing them through, seeing them graduate is always the most rewarding, rewarding aspect of it. Uh, but at, things that actually happened on the court, and um, I think it was the 14-15 season, um, we won a game at Hood in overtime on a full-length buzzer beater with, like, one second left that made Center. Travis Saltis, he actually was back for the alumni game last night, you know. And that's that's another thing that's pretty rewarding, you know, having our alumni game and seeing the amount of players that come back and continue to support the program, you know, coming from where, uh, you know, Arcadia once was to where the program is now. You know, those are things that are, are, are pretty rewarding.
2: Yeah. This is
0: the best start since
2: 94-95 for anyone out there. So that's a that's a big accomplishment. Do you have a pregame routine as a coach? Are you superstitious at all?
0: A little bit superstitious. Um, not, not super-duper superstition, but a little bit. I mean, um, I normally try to work out before the game. I'll go in the, in, the, in the locker room, get the board done in terms of what we want to talk about pregame, then get a little workout in, shower, get dressed. You know, get a nice little prayer in and, you know, then get ready to go. You know, that's pretty consistent at home games. Obviously, on the road, you know, you're not going to work out and shower, you know, at an opponent's spot. But, you know, at home, you know, that's pretty much my routine.
2: 100%. Do you have a hidden talent or secret skill we don't know about?
0: I don't think so. No.
2: Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so. can, can you sing? <laughs>
0: no, nah. No, nah, I'm not blessed with any 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 gifts like that? Can't play any instruments. Um, I'm a pretty good writer. I mean, I don't know if I that's a know. hidden talent, but I mean, I just don't write often. I mean, it just doesn't warrant it. Right.
2: <laughs> so yeah, potential for the first coach's tribute and create your shot. Two podcast guests we need to have on.
0: Two two podcast guests you guys need to have on. Um, Mentioned mention him already. I think Mike Morak. It's somebody you guys should uh, have on? Not only is he the um, you know the, the director and founder of the Danny Rumpf Classic. Uh, Mike works with Ball Up. I don't know if you guys remember a few years back uh, Ball Up tour that was going on. He he was the guy who orchestrated all that previously. Like this, it was
1: a three on three tournament, right? It was like a big deal. It was all over the
0: country, right? Well, it was it was five on five, but it was all around. It was in six different cities. And uh, then they brought all the winners together. It was six different leagues and six different cities. Like they gave out like a million dollars or something. They had uh, like dunk contest, three point contest winners, and then uh, overall winners from um, each each league that went on to play in uh, you know a, a six guy to- team tournament. You know, and Mike worked with Am One. You know when the mixtape tour was going on. You know, so it's um, a Philly basketball guy I played at McDevitt catholic league um you know good personality somebody that i think um you know you guys will enjoy talking to and then um my guy Lonnie Laurie you know with, with k Elite you know Lonnie's a great guy man that's helped a lot of kids over the years you know get exposure and get opportunities uh he's all about the kids he's all about giving back and um you know, in the, in the in the in the short year that I've been working with K lo you know, we've gotten very very close, and you know, I've, I've gained a lot of respect for Lonnie, and you know, what he does with the program, you know, and the way he operates. Are you
1: gonna Are you gonna have to coach Lonnie's son this year?
0: I believe so. We actually so yeah, as soon as we get off, I'm shooting up to Harrington for our, uh, we got a staff meeting where we're going to you know start discussing some logistics around tryouts, practices, and you know, places that we're going to be playing this summer. So I think I will be coaching the 17 uh, B team, which Lonnie's son is on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure about that.
1: Yeah. All right. Last two questions to every guest or last two questions. Same questions we ask every guest. We call them parting shots. Uh, What's the best advice you've ever been given?
0: The best advice I've ever been given... you know, probably comes from my dad who, you know, from an early age, you know, just always, you know, I know it's cliche and simple, but just taught me the importance of, you know, hard work and putting the work and needed and necessary to get to where you wanted to be, you know, and um, didn't understand it, you know, when I was younger, but as I've gotten older, as, uh, you know, I've achieved things and I haven't achieved things, you know, I've been able to realize and recognize the importance of putting the ownership of your, on yourself and the in the in the work that you put in the, you know, trying to get to where you want to be and accomplish what you want to accomplish.
2: You're face to face with your 22 year old self. What are you telling that person?
0: Take rehab a little bit more seriously. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, when I was in college, um, uh, you know, going into, I believe, my junior year as I transferred from Bloom to East Stroudsburg, I thought I really was starting to figure it out and becoming a much better player. I mean, particularly, I was just working a lot harder and I, you know, I was taking the weight seriously, which was transforming my game. And then, you know, I had a real serious injury, um, tore, I'm sorry, I broke my tib and my fib down in my foot you know, and had to have a major surgery. And, um, you know, I just didn't take rehab as seriously or didn't tackle it as tough as, you know, I, I should have in hindsight. And, you know, it-, it reflected in the type of player I was after the injury in comparison to the player I was before. So, you know, looking back, I wish I would have just tackled my rehab a little bit harder because I think, um, you know, The player I was becoming, I had a chance to, you know, be pretty good and and reach my maximum potential, which I don't think I ever hit. But, you know, it made me look at the game differently. You know, I I learned, you know, how to compensate for deficiencies. And I think those are some of the things that, you know, led me to, to, to pursue a career in coaching. You know, just being able to understand how you can affect the game and your team in different ways, you know, and how you can. Be intricate you know without not necessarily being the main guy and playing the role all right yeah really good
1: advice uh that's it for us we appreciate you it is super bowl sunday so we appreciate you getting up early and, and talking to us before the big game uh follow arcadia hoops on twitter at arcadia underscore mbb they are like we said earlier 18 and 3 and uh, i believe 12 and 0 in the mac commonwealth uh correct yeah, the Mac conference is real weird to try to keep track mm-hmm. of Mac love and Mac freedom, but and they play again. I know you you have two games coming up this next week at Alvernia and at Lebanon Valley, which I'm I'm sure neither will be super easy. So, Justin, man, best of luck the rest of the way, and, and appreciate thanks for that down with us. You know, we really enjoyed it. So. Who are you rooting for tonight? Well, this will come out after the Super Bowl, but let's hear your Super Bowl prediction so we can say if you were right or wrong on Tuesday.
0: I mean, I think the Pats are going to win. I would like to see the Rams win, but I, I don't think, I mean, I think the Pats are going to get it done. <laughs> All
1: right, there we go. Pat yeah. what, do you, what do you got tonight? You're just rooting against
2: the Patriots because that's I mean, what you yeah, do. Yeah, of, cor- of course.
0: So, I mean, so am so I. Don't get me wrong. I'm rooting against them, but I'm also a realist.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm a realist too. I think the Pats are gonna win, but yeah, I hate them, so I hope they lose. I'm going with, <laughs> I'm going with the
1: kid genius. We're going with we're going with Sean McVay tonight, in a new a new era in, in the NFL. But but that's it for this week's episode. Justin, man, be well. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks.
0: thanks, thanks for the time, fellas. Appreciate y'all having me.